We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, welcome everybody to Talking Buffalo. Now, every weekday, Mondays through Fridays, big thank you to everybody out there who is tuning in today, whether you're, whether you're watching this on YouTube, on the video side, or whether you're listening to this, wherever podcasts are found, I thank you very much. My name is Patrick Moran. Good to have you. It is Wednesday, taping this on Tuesday, dropping this on Wednesday. Well, dropping this on Wednesday on the audio side, this will be out on YouTube um, on Tuesday night at some point. But regardless, again, thank you for, for tuning in. Today we are doing um, my film review and analysis of uh, Pro Football Focus premium grades for the week. I have watched the All-22 Coaches film. I have studied for longer than I'd like to admit at this point. Um, The grades that PFF handed out for this week got many opinions uh, on a lot of different things. It's going to be a solo episode and uh, I'm going to be doing this every Wednesday. The goal is going to be to kind of put a bow on the game that went on over the past week. And then starting with episodes for the rest of the week, start to look forward to um, what's next. Got to admit it right at the top. And I'll probably do this every single week. Um, like I said, I watched the film. I, I've looked at the grades. I, I have a lot of opinions, but I'm not Joe Marino from Lockdown Bills. I, I'm not Eric Turner. From cover one, I'm not going to be able to give you some fancy, you know, uh, elaborate analysis on a lot of schemes and gaps and, and zones and all kinds of things like that, that people like Eric and uh, and Joe and, and some of these people just um, really excel at. What I am going to give you is my honest assessment on a lot of different players um, from a lot of different positions, how I felt, how I truly felt about the game especially after having some time to kind of digest it. This isn't, uh, you know, an emotional episode, like maybe the ones I do with Tone Pucks immediately after a game, or maybe even the next day, those maybe tend to be, you kind of, by this point of the week, you kind of get your emotions out and you can start to look at everything a little more um, fairly, a little more objective 
and, and non-biased. So that's what these episodes are going to represent every Wednesday. Well, at least when the Bills play on Sunday, these will be our, our Wednesday episodes um, for the season. I'll say this before I get into anything else. This was a game that the Bills obviously not just needed to win. I mean, that goes without saying. But this was um, this was a game where the Bills needed to have a statement win, a signature win. I don't think there's any question about that. And I know most people subscribe to the theory, and to be quite frank with you, most of the time I do too, that A, a win is a win. It is hard to win in the NFL. I don't care who you're playing, and I don't care what stadium the game is in. That's accurate. That's true. And I, and I do subscribe to that theory, generally speaking. But this was a game that the Buffalo Bills needed to make a statement. They needed, uh, it's early in the year, but they needed a signature win. They needed a statement win, I think, in a, in a very, very big way. That opener on Monday night against the Jets was embarrassing. And forget about how fans feel about the game. Forget about how content creators, how the media, everyone else feels about the game. Those players, the coaches, the staff, everyone in that Buffalo Bills organization, I can guarantee you was thoroughly embarrassed by that game on Monday night. They stunk. That stink lingered with them, I'm sure, all week. And I thought it was really important to come out against the Vegas Raiders in your home opener and not just beat them, but beat them soundly. And to the Bills' credit, that is uh, precisely what they did. I got three big things. These are my like three biggest takeaways from this game. And then after that, I'm going to kind of dive into things positionally. Uh, like I said, I'll, I'll go over some things that I saw watching some tape. Again, not at you know that expert level that uh, that a Joe Marino or an Eric or a Bruce Nolan, a lot of these other people, you know th that they're great at. But I see some things, you know, and like I said, it helps me formulate my opinions. Maybe after watching a game just on TV Sunday, I might have one opinion, and then after watching the film. And seeing some numbers, I'm like, oh, you know, you know what? Maybe I was wrong. So that's what this kind of a show is all about. These are my personal takes, my personal opinions on this game. Like I said, three big takeaways for me. The first one is whatever, I don't know how it came to be, but Josh Allen clearly need to learn a lesson. He needed to learn a lesson after uh, the Jets debacle. And I don't know how that lesson was learned. I don't know if it came from looking at himself in the mirror. I don't know if it came from watching television or reading online a lot of the things, a lot of the shit that was being said about him. I don't know if it was Sean McDermott or Ken Dorsey in his ear. I don't know if it was his teammates. I don't know what it was. But what I do know is that the lesson that Josh Allen needed to learn from that Jets game. He very, very clearly learned on Sunday against the Raiders. I thought Josh Allen, and I'll talk about him more specifically in a minute. I thought Josh Allen was excellent. I think for, and especially after watching the film, he just did not force the issue. Lots of stats to go over, and we'll go over a few in just a minute. But my single favorite one was 
Minus a penalty where it would have been an interception, but it was a defensive penalty, so play doesn't count. Minus that, Josh Allen did not even throw an interceptable ball. You know, a lot of times stats can be deceiving. You'll look, you don't watch the game, and you'll see, you know, Justin Herbert throws four touchdowns in just one pick and 275 yards. You're like, wow, man, that's a great game. But what you don't see if you didn't watch it is the defense probably dropped two or three interceptions. There were a lot of plays that could have went against them, and the quarterback got lucky. That's not the case with this Sunday. Josh Allen took what the defense gave him. He did not force the issue, and he did not put the Bills in a, in a position to, to fail at all. Quite the opposite of what he did, of course, against the Jets. So that was a big takeaway. Whatever lesson Josh Allen needed to learn and whoever gave him that lesson, whoever he took it in, maybe it's a combination of all that shit, he clearly got the memo this week and learned that lesson. So that's one. Um, two, I thought the offensive line was borderline dominant. They played great. There was no, at least to me anyway, in my opinion, there was no weak spots. There were no weak links on that offensive line on Sunday. I thought all five at a bare minimum at their worst held their own. And at their best, they were dominant. There were holes in the running game. There was time for Josh to throw. He was not under pressure much. I think the Raiders had two sacks, and one of them was just a perfectly timed blitz. Give the Raiders credit on a great blitz call. I thought the offensive line was great. About as good collectively as a unit as I've seen them play in quite a while, quite frankly. So that's a big takeaway for me. And then the other thing, I got to be honest with you, especially after watching the tape, dude, Jimmy Garoppolo sucked. He was fucking terrible. I'm just going to be honest with you. If I'm a Raiders fan right now, now you probably still, if Jimmy Garoppolo plays better, plays well, do the Raiders beat the Bills? I still don't think so. But that should have been a, a, a more competitive game than what it was. And when you watch the film, Jimmy Garoppolo was just really bad. I mean, he was missing. He wasn't ma- it wasn't bad throws. Again, this is why it, it is important to be able to, to kind of watch film from certain angles. And when you watch that film, the thing that stuck out to me like a sore thumb, or at least a sore thumb if I'm a Raiders fan, there were open receivers, especially in the middle of the field, working the middle of the field that Jimmy Garoppolo simply did not throw the ball to. Again, it wasn't necessarily a, a bunch of bad physical throws. It was a bunch of bad decisions. And the Bills had, and they didn't get a sack, almost did. Technically, they didn't. In reality, Greg Rizzo got him down and he got like maybe a half yard, could have been a sack. But anyway, the Bills didn't get a sack. They did okay with pressure, but the pressure was not overwhelming. The Bills didn't blitz a lot. There were just, whatever reason, uh, I don't know if it's the Raiders game plan. I don't know if Jimmy Garoppolo took it upon himself to do this, but he was getting rid of that ball quick, maybe because he didn't want to feel that pressure and he didn't want to get sacked. But this guy was pretty much, here's the call. It's going to this guy and I'm throwing the football because he was not going through progressions. And even I know that shit watching the film. <laughs> there were guys, if he was going through his progressions, his second, his third uh, progression, I'm telling you, I promise you, there were open receivers specifically 
in the middle of the field. You know, the, the linebackers got great, great grades, and we'll talk about that. Quite frankly, I don't think the secondary hide Hoyer as safeties. I don't think they got tested much at all. Should have. They didn't. I just thought Jimmy Garoppolo played an absolutely uh, freaking uh, horrible game. I mean, it, it was really bad. And obviously, that's to the Bills' benefit. Again, if you're a Raiders fan, you walk away pretty pissed off. Did he play as bad as Josh Allen did against the Jets in week one? No. And, you know, Josh Allen's mistakes stood out like a sore thumb. You didn't have to watch the game film from week one to know what Josh Allen did wrong. Like I said, at first glance, you might not think Jimmy Garoppolo played bad, but uh, I promise you, he he absolutely, most definitely did not play well at all for Vegas um, on Sunday. All right, so what I'm going to do is kind of go through these positions like I said, and just kind of give you a, a couple thoughts on each. I'll read off some stats that I got mainly from Pro Football Focus, uh, their premium stat section, which I uh, I subscribe to. Let's start with Josh. Again, we already talked about him having a good game, good decision-making. He had an 82.7 overall grade, which was the highest of anybody on the Buffalo Bills offense on Sunday. So in this case, you know, sometimes grades could be Miss or deceiving a little bit. And there's a couple cases where I definitely think that's the case. And we'll, we'll hit on that in just a few, but in this case, I think it, it, this warrants it. Josh Allen's play 82.7 overall grade. Like I said, highest of anybody on the offense. And by comparison, he had 82.7 grade overall this week, last week against the jets, he only had a 49.6 grade. So you could see a big, big jumper, Josh, um, in week two. One of my favorite stats, and again, overall 31 for 37. My favorite stat, Josh Allen was 17 of 18 for a buck 39 on passes between zero to 10 yards. So quite literally, passes between zero and 10 yards, 17 of 18. Just uh, a dominant game. I, I apologize. It's not 17 of 18. It's 17 of 19. I apologize. By the way, both unsuccessful passes were to Dawson Knox. Not blaming Dawson Knox necessarily, but my point was this. 17 completions, 0 to, uh, to 10 yards. He was, I don't even want to say dumping the ball off. He, he was taking the smart play. He was taking what the defense gave him. And when you watch the film, you could see there were certain times where three defensive backs for the Raiders would kind of converge on like, say the deeper guy in a bills route. And last week it felt like Josh was trying to force that in there this week. There were many times, especially when he was throwing the ball, either to James cook or to Dalton Kincaid, where uh, the shorter guy was wide open and he checked the ball down and he did it consistently and he stayed patient and within the bills offense and their game plan um, on Sunday. So I thought that was really impressive. When the Raiders did not blitz, Josh Allen was 22 or 26 for a buck 80. And then he was um, five for seven for 33 hours. But all both of his touchdown passes, or at least two of them anyway, were under pressure. So the Raiders didn't blitz a lot. 22 or 26 when they didn't blitz. So Josh made him pay for that. But anyway, like I said, just a, a really strong game for Josh. Um, his season grade at this point now per PFF is at 66.4. Look, that's going to happen when you turn the ball over four times in one game um, against the Jets. If you're wondering, as of this taping, uh, Josh Allen currently ranks 22nd among all quarterbacks on PFF 
in terms of grades. You want to know who's number one? Tua. Tua's number one right now, 90.9. Uh, but anyway, like I said, a, a really good game and a, a good bounce back for Josh Allen, not just with the naked eye, but also on film. And when you see the stats, they kind of support how he played. Um, running backs, to me, this was a big, big part of the Bills offense. Tone Bucks and I talked about it on the recap show immediately after the game. It wasn't just one guy. All three guys had roles on this team, and it wasn't even like Damian Harris or Latavius Murray were just getting the ball at the end of the game during garbage time when the Bills are protecting a three-score lead. These guys had roles, not huge roles, but meaningful roles. There's a big difference between having a big role in the offense and having a meaningful role in the offense. Like Harris and Murray both got meaningful carries. They both scored meaningful touchdowns. So a good game for them. But James Cook uh, specifically was great on Sunday. Ran for a buck 23. His overall grade per PFF was 72.5. Um, he's 17th overall after two weeks among all running backs in the league right now. And I wanted to kind of like go through the stats. And again, if you don't subscribe to PFF Premium, and I know there's a lot of people out there that will say their stats are stupid or they don't suck or they suck. We don't understand them. I don't understand a lot of them, but you can also get a lot of numbers from them. Even if you throw whatever the grades are, you throw that out, you'll get a lot of numbers, a lot of stats, a lot of data from PFF that you won't otherwise get. And this was something that I wanted to see, like where did James Cook have the most success running the ball on Sunday? And for him, the most damage came when he was running the ball to the left edge. Ran the ball there seven times and averaged 7.9 yards per carry. And as long as only 16. So that shows, you know, that th that was consistently there running to that left edge. He consistently had success running to that side of the ball. Seven times um, and 7.9 yards per carry. That's very impressive. And I'll tell you another thing about James Cook that I thought was really impressive on Sunday. And again, the numbers back this up as well. Um, 80 of his yards. So he had 123 yards rushing. 80 of his yards came after contact. So he wasn't running through a wide open holes, getting tackled and just falling down. He was making people miss. He was running through some tackles. It was a, uh, a very strong game for him. Um, carries through two weeks. James Cook has 29. Latavius Murray and uh, Damian Harris both have eight. Kind of feels like what it should be for the Bills right now. James Cook is clearly their featured back. But it's not a case like, say, what San Francisco is doing right now, where Christian McCaffrey is getting literally all the carries and Mitchell's not even touching the ball. Cook's getting plenty of work, but they're spelling him with Murray and they're spelling him with Harris. And both those guys, the the um, the latter, seem like they're going to be the ones who are carrying the ball more in the red zone, or maybe if it's third and one, or you know fourth and one, things like that. And I like that. I don't need James Cook toting the ball twenty times, and I don't need him. It sucks for fantasy purposes, but the Bills get inside the three yard line, get the ball to Harris. He gets in the end zone. He finds the end zone. He had like seventeen touchdowns a couple of years ago. Get the ball to Murray. He's been doing it his whole career. So I really like what the Bills are doing uh, with this running game so far.
Hey folks, wanted to take a minute to tell you about Buff on Weck, your ultimate destination for Buffalo-themed gear. Whether you want to rep the Bills, the Sabres, or any of Buffalo's other sports franchises, they've got the perfect gear for you. New merch drops happen all the time, so get ready to stand out because this gear definitely grabs attention. I got plenty of it myself. In fact, sometimes you'll catch me sporting some of their gear on this show right here. Go check them out at buffonweck.com. Again, that's buffonweck.com. One F, not two. Buffonweck.com. And make sure you follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at buffonweck. And keep up with all the cool stuff that they got to offer fans. Buffonweck, tasty merch with a Buffalo bias. Moving on to the wide receivers, I thought Gabe Davis was excellent, as was Stefan Diggs, and there wasn't really anything that I saw on film that you didn't have already as a takeaway from the game. You know, you like to go back sometimes and you watch the All-22 and you're like, these guys could have had way bigger games. Josh just missed them when they were wide open a lot. Didn't really see much of that on Sunday at all. Uh, Gabe Davis specifically, I, I loved him against the Raiders. Six grabs, 92 yards, and a touchdown. He had a nice 76 grade from uh, PFF this week. Interesting fact about Gabe Davis, wasn't used enough in the Jets game, clearly was um, against the Raiders. So far this season, Gabe Davis has eight catches. And of those eight catches, literally all eight have went for either a first down or in, with one uh, grab, a touchdown, a really nice catch too, and uh, a tough catch uh, in the end zone against the Raiders. So all eight of his catches have been productive catches. None of these little two-yard, you know, drop-offs to Gabe Davis, man. He's catching the ball and he's moving to change or literally scoring a touchdown. So to me, a really good start for Gabe Davis. And hopefully going forward, he will be at least a little bit more consistently involved uh, in the Bills offense. And as for Stefan Diggs, he's so good. It's just, you know, it's almost easy to take him for granted. We've talked, this is my third show for the week, kind of going over this game and whether it was, uh, right after the game with Tone Pucks, or whether it was with Anthony Marino on the show yesterday. It's almost, with so many other things going on, it's almost easy to gloss over, if not completely forget about Stefan Diggs and just how good this guy is. Uh, seven catches. He's got 17 catches in two games. Um, wasn't even in the top 50 among wide receivers for grades this week, which I suppose that's not really uh, surprising. I mean, he had a workman-like, Productive game. It wasn't like an all-pro game by any means, but they didn't need him to be an all-pro in this game against the Raiders. And he still had seven catches. But anyway, it's not the greatest grade, but who gives a shit? See, this is what I'm talking about. Sometimes these grades mean freaking nothing. And this is definitely uh, one of the cases here with Stefan. But anyway, 17 catches this year. 10 of his, and he's getting the ball short too. Here's a stat that I, that I found. 10 of Stefan Diggs' 17 catches this year have been for nine yards or less through the air. And zero of his 17 catches have traveled at least 19 yards in the air. But Josh is throwing the ball to him and he's having a lot of success. 17 of the 20 times Stephon Diggs has been targeted this year so far, he's caught the ball. It's, it's resulted in a completion. That's an 85% success rate. That's what you want from your number one wide receiver, folks. So anyway, a good game for both wide receivers. Um, tight end Dawson Knox, terrible grade this week, 55.4 caught three passes for 10, uh, 10 yards and 
the touchdown. I don't know if it's because he missed a couple blocks, which again, I'm not really trying to analyze too much the tight end blocking, but uh, he was charged with one drop. Could have caught one that they didn't charge with the drop. So I'm not really sure what's behind the gray, but he was fine. Uh, Dalton Kincaid, grade-wise, not much better, 60.1. But he did catch five balls for 43 yards. Uh, I know a lot of people are wondering, like, when Dalton Kincaid is in the game, how the Bills are using him. Because that was a big narrative, a big talking point throughout the entire summer at training camp and into the preseason when the Bills are in 12 personnel or when Dalton specifically is on the field, how is he going to be used? Is he going to be an inline guy? Is he going to be on this slot? Is he going to be outside? Well, so far this season, and I got to give Eric Turner from Cover One credit because I, I saw this on, on his timeline, actually. Dalton Kincaid's usage in line, meaning in line, meaning he's lined up as a tight end tight. Uh, 31% of the snaps he's out there for. He has been wide, spread out wide, just 23% of the time. And he has spent 46% of his snaps lined up in the slot. So almost half the time, when Delta Kincaid is out there so far with uh, Knox and two wide receiver or two tight end sets, I should say, 12 formation, 12 personnel, um, he's been lined up in the slot. That big slot that we talked about a lot, we've, we we kind of came up with that term this year for Kincaid, the big slot. He's playing it about 46% of the time. Um, snap counts, Kincaid 47, Knox 55. So Kincaid on the field for 60% and Dawson Knox on the field for 71 percent of the snaps seems pretty in line with uh what we expected got in on the offensive line because I, I this was one of my three big points right here at the top i thought the offensive line played excellent and i want to start with a guy who i thought sucked against the jets you could have made a case for me that not counting josh allen because i thought josh allen was the worst player on the field and, and the reason why the bills lost that game that opener but if i had to put uh, you know, the like a LVP, which we will have on this uh, this episode on Wednesdays. LVP meaning least valuable player. Second place runner-up last week for me might have been Connor McGovern. I just thought he was an absolute disaster against the Jets. But I'll tell you what, a complete, complete 180 turnaround against the Raiders. I thought he was excellent. Uh, I looked up his grades from PFF. And here's, here's a comparison grade-wise that'll tell you just how much better he was this week than last. Last week against the Jets, 43.9 overall grade, 30.9 against the run. That is fucking terrible. 30.9 grade against the run last week for the against uh, the Jets. And a 70.6 against the pass. So 43.9 overall last week. This week, 76.3 overall. Huge jump. 78.8 against or on the pass plays, which not surprising. The book on Connor McGovern when the Bills signed him is he is a good pass blocker and a pretty shitty run blocker. Well, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, but that was the book on him, folks. Sorry. Anyway, 71.4 grade against the run or with the run, I should say, on Sunday. So an outstanding grade all around for Connor McGovern on Sunday. He improved to 33rd overall among 74 eligible offensive guards. And by eligible, that means you have to play at least 20% of the snaps. So right now, after two weeks, he's right around the middle of the pack among starting guards in the NFL. Not terrible. Um, especially, again, after playing as badly as he did against the Jets. I thought it was a huge, huge, huge bounce back 
uh, for Connor McGovern. And then one of the two other guys I want to talk about specifically, Deion Dawkins. Um, I thought he was fine. And then I watched, this was my reaction on Sunday. I'm like, all right, he was fine. Then I watched him all 22 and I was more impressed. And then I went to PFF and looked up the grades and the stats and borderline blown away. He was great. Deion Dawkins, when it was all said and done, was great on Sunday. 82.4 grade against the Raiders, which was second best among anybody on the Bills offense overall grade other than Josh Allen. Um, he was seventh best in the entire NFL this week among offensive tackles when it comes to the PFF overall grade. Seventh best. That's awesome. And after two weeks, 10th. 10th best among all tackles in the NFL through two games. So a really strong start for Deion Dawkins, a guy who I thought two years ago was really good. And quite frankly, last year, I thought was pretty overrated. I did not think Deion Dawkins played well last year, pretty much at all. I thought he was very average. Not the case so far this year. Deion Dawkins has been really good. So that's a very encouraging sign for the Buffalo Bills. And then the other one, and has gotten a lot of talk this week, and deservedly so, Spencer Brown. I'll tell you, man, coming into this game, and I've talked about this a little bit on the show earlier this week, coming into this game, short of the Bills beating themselves, killing themselves, shooting themselves in the foot, however you want to analyze it, beating themselves with turnovers, the only way I said that the Bills had any chance of losing this game was if Max Crosby just went absolutely ape shit and took over the game and single-handedly wrecked the Bills' offense, you know, one of those three sacks, forced fumble, turnover type of games. That's how I thought the Bills potentially lose to the Raiders. Well, I'll tell you what, he didn't do shit against the Bills on Sunday. Had four tackles, you know, you know, a little bit of pressure, but for who Max Crosby is, among a handful of the best defensive ends in the entire NFL, I didn't think he did shit. He was not a factor for that game. And I give a lot of credit to Ken Dorsey for some play call designs. I give a lot of credit to Aaron Cromer for some blocking concepts. He had help. He was not by on his own. Like Dawson Knox, Kincaid, there was a lot of chipping. Uh, Quinn and Morris got some snaps in front of Crosby, Gilliam a little bit. So there was a lot of combination of, you know, sometimes the guard would help out. So it wasn't like a whole game full of Spencer Brown just one-on-one -on -one beating Max Crosby. That said, I thought Spencer Brown played goddamn well. I thought he was a huge asset to the Bills in this offense on Sunday. Not even a debate. He was. You look at the grade. 63.8 was his grade against the Raiders. And I'm like, how? Like, again, this is the, like the love-hate kind of thing that we all, a lot of us have, at least anyway, when it comes to pro football focus and their grading system, which is so scientific and complex that we don't understand it. Fuck, I don't even know if they understand it. But a 63.8 grade feels low. Deion Dawkins had an 82.4 grade. I don't think Deion Dawkins was head and shoulders clearly that much better than Spencer Brown, but the grades say that he was. Anyway, again, this is a case where throw him out. Throw out the numbers, throw out the stats. Spencer Brown was very effective, and he helped the Bills. 71.7 was his run grade, which is good but only 49.2 in pass protection. Now he got beat a couple times. Crosby did beat him, but Josh got rid of the ball quick, so it wasn't really a quarterback pressure because Josh didn't hold on to the ball. 
But Spencer Rollins still got beat. But man, considering who he's playing against, I mean, you're talking like only like the Bosa's and the and the uh, Hutchinson and, and a very very small um, group of defensive ends that that could just wreck a game like that. Obviously, T.J. Watt, you know, he, he Max Crosby's right there with those guys. So great job schematically, great job with the game plan, and a very adequate, if not goddamn good job by Spencer Brown holding his own at a minimum. Uh, against a, uh, like I said, one of the elite pass rushers in the NFL. Um, Osiris Torrance, his grade was okay, 63.1, 70.5 against the pass, 64.8 against the run. Uh, Mitch Moore, solid grade, 71.3, which was fifth best among all centers in the NFL in week two. Might not seem like Mitch Morris is having a, a fantastic season, but uh, the stats and the, and the grades indicate that he is because he's got a, uh, what is it? 67.6 grade, um, through two games, which is seventh best in the NFL among centers, uh, this year. And then the bills offensive line, their 15th in pass block efficiency, which measures, you know, the pressures allowed on a per snap basis with waiting towards sacks allowed. I wanted to make sure I read that word for word, um, from power football. That's what their definition of pass block efficiency is. The Bills are halfway. They're in like the midpoint uh, of the pack right now among all teams. And I'll tell you what, I'll take that. You got a quarterback like Josh that can make things happen. At the end of the day, especially if they're going to run the ball efficiently or ineffectively, I'll take 15. So anyway, that's the offensive side. Quick break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to fly through the defense and a couple of closing thoughts as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I feel like it's been the case, whether it's this show or most shows that I've watched and listened to that are, you know, Bill's content related. The defense is getting overlooked, and I understand why, because you got, you know, your $258 billion quarterback, uh, your offensive coordinator is the one that people like to blame for every little thing that goes wrong. Uh, you know, you, you got the wide receiver, the big name wide receiver, who there's been plenty of drama with off the field, looks amazing on the field. You know, when's Gabe Davis going to break out? Is he going to finally have that big breakthrough season that we expected last year? I get why the offense is making all the headlines. I do. But I tell you, the defense right now has been the strength of this football team, at least the consistent strength of this football team uh, through the first two games. And it continued against the Raiders, 
I thought the defensive line played really good. Uh, I want to start with somebody who I thought and he had the highest grade among uh, all the Bills defenders as well. Daquan Jones, great game. He had the highest grade of anyone on the defensive line, 79.8, and he played just 17 of 40 snaps, which I don't think the Bills hate that. And by the way, the Raiders only had 40 offensive plays and held the ball for 20 minutes. The Bills fucking dominated this game. Dominated this game. But anyway, Daquan Jones, good numbers. And uh, let's see, 77.8, his run defense which was graded fourth best of any defensive tackle in the NFL for the entire week. So he was a monster. Monster. And he also had one of the most impactful game, uh, plays of the entire game. I've said this ad nauseum at this point on Twitter and on the show this week. For me, if you had to pick one play, and it's hard to pick one play when you kind of blow a team out, but for me, the turning point of the game certainly was when the Bills were down 7 nothing. Raiders get the ball, march right down the field and score. The Bills go three and out. People are fucking booing at the stadium. It's like, here we go. And I'm, I might not have been booing at my TV, but I was starting to get stressed out relatively early. I'm not going to lie. Anyway, Raiders get the ball. And Daquan Jones pressures Jimmy Garoppolo, throws a quick pass, got rid of it before he wanted to. Grizzle gets a hand on it. Terrell Bernard, great interception. Game turns. Literally, the Bills score a touchdown, and the game turns at that point. Daquan Jones. Had a lot to do with that play. So I want to make sure he gets his flowers here um, on this episode. I thought Daquan Jones was excellent. I think Ed Oliver played very well. Additionally, 70.6 was this defensive grade. Uh, 24, 40 snaps was his workload. Uh, 76.3 run grade was the sixth best of any defensive tackle in the league this, uh, this week. And I think he set the tone literally with the first play of the game. He absolutely bullied uh, Greg Van Roden, former Buffalo Bill. Greg Van Roden, first play of the game, bowls him right into Josh Jacobs and knocks him down for a four-yard four yard loss. So Ed Oliver set the tone for that defense literally on the first play of the game. I thought he was excellent. I thought he was excellent against the Jets as well. So it is a great start this season for both Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver. And I kind of get the sense that you know, the Bills are going to run into some really good offenses this year, and they're going to have their ebbs and flows like most teams will around the league. But I feel like if Ed Oliver and Daquan Jones could stay healthy for 17 games, this is going to be one of the more, maybe even the most consistent force on this football team, that defensive tackle position. I love these two guys and what they've done so far uh, through two games. Greg Rizzo, another guy. 76.4 overall grade. He played 24 or 40 snaps, just like Ed Oliver. Um, he's doing it all. Except getting sacks. He got, he hit Garoppolo and he fell forward for a half yard, so he didn't get a sack. Um, he played, we all know what he did against the Jets. It continued against the Raiders. Um, he's not just getting at the quarterback and making life hard for uh, Zach Wilson and Jimmy Garoppolo, he is a force in the running game as well. He is doing such a good job at setting the edge and making plays. 70.3 run grade this week, which was 12th best of any uh, defensive end in the league for this week. And this is all, of course, per PFF. So a really strong game for the Bills defensive line. Looking at the linebackers, Matt Milano. I mean, what, what more can you say about this guy? Well, PFF says plenty. And so does the film. 91 overall grade, 
91.3 in coverage with the interception. He had the best grade on the Bills, the entire team against the Raiders, offense or defense, the 91 overall grade, best on the entire team. And the 91.3 coverage grade uh, was the best of anyone on the Bills defense. And I'm sure that interception where he just flat out ganked and took the ball away uh, from Jacobs, that was such a good play. Um, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. And by the way, Milano's got picks in both games so far this year. Dude's on pace for, for 17 picks, man. But anyway, best graded linebacker in the NFL this week. Not the Bills, not the game. I said the NFL. Best in the NFL um, this week, and he is second overall so far among all linebackers in the NFL this year. You don't need to look at PFF grades, and you don't need all 2022 uh, film breakdowns to know how goddamn effective Van Milano has been this year. But I'll tell you what, his partner, Terrell Bernard, I got to, you know, I feel like I have to keep saying this. I'm going to call myself out a little bit, but I'm also kind of giving myself a little bit of credit here because I hated the thought and I'm still not a big fan of the thought of Terrell Bernard being the Bills starting middle linebacker. I don't think he earned it at camp. I, I was at five training camp practices. He didn't say it out to me. It wasn't a case to me of Bernard winning the job. It was a case of Dotson in a smaller level specter losing the job. And then the Bills go out and they sign Christian Kirksey from the Houston practice squad. Um, or cut from Houston, I should say, sign him to the Bills practice squad. And I said before the season, I said, by week three, this guy's going to be up with the Bills. He's going to be starting a middle linebacker. Well, that might happen at some point, but it ain't going to be week three because Terrell Bernard is earning his keep. So I got to give him credit. And when I said I give myself credit is because I think, and I said this to Anthony yesterday, I think so many people get down on a player or coach and they just refuse to budge from that stance. Like, no matter what the guy does, you won't give him credit because you don't want to be wrong. So you will double down, you will triple down, you will do whatever you got to do to make sure that that guy does not get the credit because then it makes you look bad. Well, you know what? I don't mind looking bad because at least so far early on, I was completely wrong about Terrell Bernard, who didn't even play the preseason. He's been good through two weeks. 57.5 overall grade. That's not great. But 83.5 run defense. That 83.5 run grade is third best in the NFL among all linebackers. He is shooting gaps. He is getting to the ball carry. He is bringing them down. He is playing well. And I don't know why he got a shitty pass grade because I didn't see it again. Watching the film, and I'm not a... You know, I don't try to pretend I'm an expert either, but you know, I see what I see. And I didn't really see Bernard. Well, I, in some cases, because I said it at the beginning, how Jimmy Garoppolo missed opportunities, but they didn't throw the ball, Bernard. He didn't get beat. So if you're not getting beat on plays, I don't know how you could get such a, a shitty grade, but it doesn't matter. In this case, it doesn't matter because again, Terrell, and sometimes I think a Buffalo Bill player might get a good grade. And I don't think he deserves it. And I will call that out. But in this case, a 57.5 overall grade to me is not deserved. I, I feel like Bernard's grade should have been overall higher. And he's been a stud so far against the run. Am I still worried about him? Absolutely, I'm still worried about him. When the Bills play teams, are going to be maybe a little more committed to the running the football. They might have a little more success running the football. They'd have better offensive lines. Although, 
Coming into this game, week two, the Raiders had the number one offensive line, ranked offensive line per PFF in the NFL after the first week. Just got to throw that out there, folks. But anyway, I, I fear that there will be a time where Bernard gets swallowed up a lot. And we'll see. The Bills may and they'll address it when it comes. But so far, so good. Let's just talk about what we've seen. Let's not project into the future. I just want to talk about what I've seen. What I've seen is some really good play from uh, Terrell Bernard. Secondary. I don't know. I don't know. I just, the Raiders really, nor the Jets, really tested them. As the secondary has not been tested a hell of a lot. I know Garrett Wilson had a couple good plays, um, you know, in the, in the opener. That touchdown was ridiculous, which, by the way, Trey White could not have covered him any better. But, and Devontae Adams had some success, but not a lot on Sunday, which not the menu kind of expect him to have success. He's literally among a small handful of the best, uh, you know, wide receivers in the entire NFL. So that that's not surprising to me at all. Trey White's coverage grade, 64.8. Second best on the team coverage-wise behind Matt Milano. Uh, Devontae Adams lined up on him four times, had three catches for 28 yards. In a touchdown. Again, Devontae Adams is going to do some damage. I don't give a shit who he's lining up against nine times out of 10. I thought Trey White was fine. I'm going to use that word with the secondary a lot. Fine. Uh, Christian Benford, 55.6 coverage grade, uh, 53.4 overall. Adams, when he was matched up with Benford, targeted twice, one catch for 18 yards. I'll tell you this, he got he was fine. Christian Benford was fine. Again, I don't got no issues with anybody on the second. I don't got no issues with anybody on this team based on uh, this second game against the Raiders. He did get away with a pass interference. I still can't believe that they picked up that flag when he, I can't remember the guy who it was, but it went from the guy catching the ball plus pass interference to then picking up the flag and then realizing he didn't even have his, his first foot in. So it ended up being an incomplete pass. If I was a Raiders fan, I would have been losing my fucking mind. I would have been going nuts. If that would have happened to the Bills, I would have been losing my shit because that was clearly an interference penalty on Christian Benford. But he got away with it. Again, he was fine. Micah Hyde, 64.8 overall grade. I'm going to say the same thing about him this week that I said about him week one against the Jets. Not spectacular, but solid. Seems quick to the ball. Um, wasn't really testing much at all in the passing game. Some throws were in front of him, and when it, that happened, he closed on the ball, and he and he's playing fine. So I got no issues with Micah Hyde. My confidence level with him is perfectly fine, although we'll see how things play out because uh, as we tape this Tuesday, we don't know it's a day-to-day -day thing, but he did hurt his hamstring late in the Raiders game and had to come out. So we'll see uh, how that progresses throughout the week. Update as of Tuesday per Sean McDermott is that uh, Micah Hyde is day-to-day. And then there's Jordan Poyer, who I thought was terrible against the Jets. Um, I looked at his grades against the Raiders and kind of similar. 53 overall grade, 50.3 against the pass. Really good run grade, 67.3. And I think that's because he had some well-timed run blitzes, made a couple plays right near the line of scrimmage. 75.7 um, tackle grade, which is good. I'm... Um, if, there, if there's something about this team that concerns me a little bit right now after two games, I, I feel like Jordan Poyer could be exposed. And I hope I'm wrong. It just seems 
you know, maybe the instincts are still there. It's kind of like a boxer when they get a little bit old, you know, you still got your instincts. You still got that power. You can still knock somebody out with that one punch. You kind of lose when you, the older you get, the foot speed goes. And it kind of feels like that might be what's happening a little bit to, to Jordan Poyer right now. 46.6 overall grade is the lowest. And this is through two games. It's 46.6 overall grade is the lowest among all Bills starters on the defense. And so far through two weeks, Jordan Boyer is just 74th out of 79 eligible safeties. And by eligible, again, that's playing 20% of your team's um, snaps. So not great. Not great for Jordan Boyer. Is it just a little bit of early season shaking off some rust? Is it you know, maybe a, a prelude to what could become a much bigger problem as the season goes on. We'll find out uh, soon enough because again, as we get ready to wrap up here, the defense played great, but they were also, in my opinion, after watching the film, especially um, aided a little bit by really shitty play from Jimmy Garoppolo. It just didn't feel like, I don't know what it was, he just wasn't scanning the field because I saw some open white jerseys watching all 22 that apparently Jimmy Garoppolo uh, did not see. So you're through two weeks with the defense and you've seen Zach Wilson, well, minus four plays of Aaron Rodgers. You've seen Zach Wilson and you've seen Jimmy Garoppolo who again is with the new team too. And then, you know, that matters as well. Maybe Garoppolo will start to play better if you're a Raiders fan throughout the year. But anyway, that's not really going to scare you too much, but get ready folks, because if this defense is for real or not, we're going to start to find out soon. Maybe not so much on Sunday against Washington. Although look, Washington's two and oh, and they put up a lot of points on Denver, and they've had some success on offense. Howell's played very well. Ryan Robinson is a good running back. They can do some things on offense. But anyway, we're going to find out soon if this Bills defense is truly for real because after this week, you got Tua, and then you got Trevor Lawrence coming up consecutively in weeks four through five. You got Joey Burrow, assuming he's healthy at that point. You got him in week nine. You got Jalen Hurts on the road in week 12, Burrow on the road as well. You got Patty Mahomes on the road in week 14. You got Dak Prescott in week 15. You got Justin Herbert on the road in week 16. And you got Tua again on the road in the season finale. That's a hell of a lot of good quarterbacks and all of them that I just mentioned with the exception of, well, actually Tua next week, but they also play him on the road. But with the exception of Dak Prescott, all those other guys, all those other good, talented quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Joey Burrow, Jalen Hurts, Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert, they're facing those guys on the road. And I'm not even counting Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson, he might be cooked. Maybe he's not, but he still could be dangerous on any given Sunday. Well, in this case, Monday night, because that's when the Bills will be playing uh, the Denver Broncos. But anyway, the Bills defense... My point is they're going to get tested uh, really soon. So anyway, final thoughts here, wrapping up. Three things that I wrote down in my notes here, I'm reading off here. Uh, play action, Buffalo Bills, Josh Allen play action was really effective. 25.6 of the Bills passes. And again, these are PFF stats. 
25.6% of their passes were play action. On those, Josh Allen, 8 of 10 for 88 yards and a touchdown. Against the Jets, they only had 14% of their plays were or passes were play action. In those, Josh was 5 of 7. So they went from 14% play action passes to 25.6% play action against the Raiders. I like that. That's a that's good on Ken Dorsey. Also shows probably that the Bills are running the ball effectively because you start to move up and play to run, and it makes the play action passing more effective. So that was important for the Bills. Um, Josh, again, four turnovers against the Jets in per PFF. And I didn't even need to say per PFF because if you watch the game and you have a set of functioning eyes, you can see for your damn self. Four turnovers against the Jets, zero turnover-worthy plays against Vegas. When you got a good team like the Bills, you're not going to lose a lot of games when you don't beat yourself, when you don't give the team turnovers. And Josh Allen did not do that. He did not present Vegas with opportunities. That was a big part of the game. So he went from four turnovers to zero turnover-worthy plays against Vegas. I thought that was huge. And then last but not least, you know, we talk about the Bills' offense and the offensive line and running backs, this and that. The Bills had a lot of sustainable drives. The Bills scored five touchdowns on Sunday. Three of those drives went over six minutes. They had an 11-play, 84-yard drive for a touchdown. They had a 15-play, 75-yard drive for a touchdown. And they had an 11-play, 95-yard drive for a touchdown. So three long, sustainable Bills touchdown drives uh, were huge. Unsung heroes of the game literally went 50-some minutes without even mentioning him. Khalil Shakir, um, he only got seven snaps, but he made the most of them, especially that fourth down catch, that nice route, beautiful throw by Josh. I mean, God, what a, that was unbelievable. Whether you saw it on All-22 or just watch the highlight, I'm sure it's all over social media. The way Josh Allen got him, that ball stopped flat-footed. Oh, my God, that was ridiculous. But anyway, to get away from Josh here. Uh, Khalil Shakir, great play, great route, great catch, and he finished the play by getting in the end zone. I thought that was huge, so I want to make sure I give him some uh, props. And then again, unsung heroes because of Josh getting all the headlines, Connor McGovern, again, and Deion Dawkins. I, I thought they were absolutely um, fantastic. I had to power rank the MVPs of this game, which is something I will do every week. Um, during this exercise, this weekly episode, power ranks, I'm going to go with Josh Allen, number one. I'm going to go Gabe Davis, number two. And fuck the grades. I'm going Spencer Brown, number three, just because he played well enough to make sure that Max Crosby didn't wreck shit. So for that reason alone, Spencer Brown is in the top three of my power rankings. Normally, and I'm being a little bit of a homer here, or am I? Because normally I would finish this with MVP and LVP. I swear to God, man, I don't have an LVP. If I'm criticizing anyone's performance on Sunday, I'm straight up nitpicking. Now, I talked a little bit about Jordan Poyer. Didn't hurt him. So I'm not going to give him LVP. Nobody is the LVP of this game. The Buffalo Bills with a dominating win. The scoreboard shows it. The film shows it. The PFF grades show it. The numbers show it. Everything shows it. So a great week, a great bounce back week here uh, for the Buffalo Bills. And on that note, this went longer than I thought. Got to kind of get used to these doing these solo episodes. I keep saying they're not going to be long. They're not going to be long. They end up being 40, 45, 50, 55 minutes long. <laughs> I'll get better at that. But anyway, that is going to do it 
uh, for today. I will be back again tomorrow. Again, we're here every Monday through Friday now, folks. But tomorrow, Thursday show, I will have Aaron Quinn from Cover One with me. We'll start to spend some time looking forward to uh, the Washington game over the weekend. Plus, I got a couple of fun tales that Aaron and I had. Uh, we, we hooked up with a bunch of other people last weekend. We'll kind of share some of those stories. That was a lot of fun. And then Thursday night, live from Imperial Pizza, Chris Baker from Sabres Prospects. He will be joining me as well. So talk to you then. Have a good one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.